See, I think policy is about leadership. Execution is about management, right? <laughs> so you can have the best policy in the world, but you can come up with something that cannot be executed. And so in the design of the policy, you have to have in mind the execution. We work on solving the business problems that you have and in the process we build trust. Hmm. You know, and it's just like you build the scorecards and you have business reviews and in the process people get comfortable, right? Yeah. You know, and trust is built, it's not uh, granted. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast brought to you by Cardavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. Today is episode 56, and our special guest is John Bernard. The title today is Government That Works, the results-driven path to making government work. Can you believe it? Government actually working? Well, John Bernard is a consultant. He's also an author, and that's what John does. He works with state governments and their agencies, and more importantly, their leadership to help them figure out ways to actually make government work. And as you'll hear John say, it comes down to the simple focus on results. It seems simple, but John's also going to share some of the challenges to that mindset shift in state governments. He's also going to talk about how important it is for governments and their leaders to create measurements and dashboards that they are accountable to, and really critically, that those dashboards actually measure the results they say they want to achieve. I know you're going to be fascinated by what John has to share with you about a clear path to helping governments actually work. podcast where we explore leadership business and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life we're your hosts jeff dishwitz and craig matthews we believe that leaders have to put their people first and if you don't have time to grow your people then you're not leading get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business welcome to your bigger business and bigger life welcome back to the Impact Leadership Podcast. I'm excited to have John Bernard. He is an expert in state and local government. And this is a particularly interesting time because we're right before an election and we're thinking about what's going on in our government and how we're going to possibly change things based on our votes. And John's gonna share some of the issues that state and local governments have been facing and then some of the problem or some of the solutions that he's talked about in his books and in other things. So welcome, John. Well, thank you. How are you guys? Good. Welcome, Good. John. Hi, Jeff. Good morning. Whatever time of ubiquitous time of day it should be. <laughs> That's right. That well, time. So, John, uh, give us a little bit of your story and how you got to this point, because it's I know it's fascinating. Well, I stumbled into working uh, with the state government and uh, the issues between state, local, and um, federal are not dissimilar, they're just scale. Okay. In many, in many, many ways. Stumbled into, uh, was asked to give a presentation to the Oregon Youth Authority. It had been above the fold, the old, uh, the old traditional way of describing hell on earth. Uh, <laughs> is, uh, we were above the fold and they didn't say nice things about us. Uh, so that means in the newspaper front page. Right. And, um, so two new people had been brought in by the governor to run it. Uh, they were thinking differently. I went down, met with their uh, team, gave a presentation. And here we are 15 years later. I work exclusively with state government uh, because the, the journey, um, uh, the opportunity, the meaning of the work is just so incredible that mm. I just feel blessed to have found a place where I could put my skills to work that make a difference. Oh, that's great. I know we've had some conversations about why people get into state government and, you know, usually it comes back to, it sounds like they want to make a difference. What, what do you see as far as why people are stepping in there? Well, I, I think first of all, generally speaking, we all uh, underestimate 
what it takes to work in government. It is uh, often thankless and sometimes worse than thankless because, you know, you talk to the neighbor over the fence and the neighbor says, well, what do you do? And the, the response to I work for the state, uh, for state government or I work for the city or whatever may not be as encouraging <laughs> as one would hope it would be. It's not like, thank you for your service, but it right. really is tough work. And particularly with the pandemic, with the economic downturn, with all the, um, you know, fires and floods and storms and, you know, next the locusts will come. <laughs> you know, it is tough work and demanding work and often thankless work. And to top it off, you go into that work thinking you can make a difference and you discover this place is a mess. <laughs> right. And so one of the things I, it sounds like you do a lot of is clean up some of the mess. And well, yeah, uh, let me let me first of all remove any credit that I get, because all I do is help show people a way of thinking. Sure, and, uh, I I do believe I've said this for years uh, that what I what I do is I sell hope, uh, mm. because if you work in a system that you don't believe you can influence and that you can barely rationalize, um, it's frustrating. And so my, my job is to go in and help them rethink um, how we look at government, what its purpose is, what it can and does accomplish, and then how we all work together to, uh, to make it work. Okay. Uh, John, John, I wanted to ask you a question about something you said. You're talking about when someone introduces themselves to someone and says they work in government, you know, there's a different kind of reaction they'd hope. And, and what you made a joke about is just that they don't usually say thank you for your service. And my question is this, you know, I'm a student of history. I read a lot of history. And my personal opinion is, I think, I feel like there's been a loss of a service mindset in mm -hmm. government. Uh, you know, hundreds of years ago, I really feel like people who stepped into those roles said, I am going to be a public servant. And I, I guess I'm wondering, what's your perspective on, is that mindset still there in government and what you experience? Well, yeah, Jeff, and I, I think what you're experiencing is not the mindset of the people. You're experiencing the uh, impact of the system they work mm. within. So if you work within a system that is designed to be non-responsive, <laughs> you know, and what I mean by that is it is, I'm, I'm just going to give you some strange facts you probably never heard. The, the average state produces somewhere in excess of 300 new laws a year. Um, remember that people elected to office to go serve at the state capitol are lawmakers. So their measure of success is how many laws did we make? Oh. Uh, and you, you have to stand back and look at that. And so what happens is, I'll give you another example. Um, Washington Department of um, Commerce was working with them and they were talking about energy savings programs. And I said, this is cool. How many do you have? 17. Well, which of those 17 programs saves the most energy? And they looked at me. <laughs> Crickets. <laughs> yeah, we're not, we're not expected to, to know the answer to that question. In fact, it's not a criteria for our work. Wow. Our work is, did you get the contracts issued? You know, did you get, did you spend the money to put these programs in place? So imagine that, combine the two things, you know, 300 new laws, all these mm -hmm. programs layered on all these programs, and no measure of whether or not they work. And tell me that you as a public servant, in that kind of structure, in that kind of system, are going to... Uh, feel service oriented because mm. that's not your job. And wow. yet it can be if the governor decides to flip that and decides to say, what results are we after? And uh, if we're after energy savings programs, we all, the three of us know that two of those energy savings programs kick, but they're really good. 
the other 15, I'm making the numbers up, but you, you know what I'm saying. Sure. The other 15 are complete and utter waste of money. Somebody <laughs> came up with the idea. Some of them are federal programs handed down. Some are some legislator who made a trade for something else that they wanted support for, but they believed in this or a lobbyist who wrote it into law. By the way, the lobbyists actually often write the laws. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, people don't understand a lot of that. Um, there are houses in Olympia, Washington, as an example, two blocks from the Capitol where most of the laws are written and all of those houses are owned by lobbyists. Wow. Um, so, you know, we don't understand how this system works, but there is a mechanism to change that. And the mechanism is results. What are you trying to accomplish? What difference are you trying to make? Because that reorganizes all those laws that are out there in terms of priority. Uh, it reorganizes the way the legislature thinks. It actually changes the way the legislature views the executive branch. Hmm. As now, another strange story, state of Oregon, because uh, I'm on the West Coast, so I've spent most of my time out here. The state legislature passed a law that to be a manager in the state of Oregon, you had to have at least 10 direct employees. Do you have any idea how much work people went through over the next year to make it look like they had 10 direct employees? <laughs> but that's an expression from the legislature of lack of confidence. So we don't think you're doing things well, so we're going to give you some ridiculous hoop to jump mm -hmm. through because that'll make sure you are. So wow. the part partnership between the legislature and the executive branch, I actually blame the executive branch. If they could say, these are the results we're getting. And I, this is what happens. Oregon youth authority started getting results, started being able to say, this is really broken over here. And here's how bad it is. Mm. This over here, we've been able to make progress on. And by be able, being able to demonstrate results, they took back control. Hmm. They, they actually got authority. They got support. The legislature started working with them and ultimately for them to help achieve uh, outcomes for Oregon's youth that were prior to that impossible to even consider. Now, did they get the support because, because it was above the fold at one point and they turned it around and therefore they, they wanted to look good as in we're supporting something that's actually working or was it maybe more of, hey, I actually see the value in this. Let's support that regardless of what, what it looks like. Well, I think they support what works. That's okay. that, you know, it's like everybody else. Most legislate, legislators actually care, <laughs> you know, just like most state employees actually care. Some of them are dominated by the politic of it all, okay. but most of them are there going to work, trying to make this thing work, trying to get better results. But John, you, you raise a really interesting point about results. And it was interesting you were talking about these programs, most of them didn't work or didn't really produce much in results, but they had dollars associated with them. So how much of this is about the dollar appearance? And I, it, it seems like it's not just a government issue. What popped in my head as you were talking, John, is, you know, there's a lot of social unrest going on in this country right now, social justice issues. And all sorts of public-facing organizations are throwing out their number, right? We, we you know, every sport, every, everybody that's public-facing is saying, we just stroked a check to inclusivity, diversity, social justice. And to me, we'll never hear what they did with that money. Hmm. They're just, hey, we did our money. Here's our, you know, our million dollars. We've committed a million dollars a year. We're done. At least to us because there's no, never going to be accountability for the results, but we wrote a check. So I, I, you're really hitting home for me about the importance of results, not dollars. <laughs> yeah. And Jeff, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, think about this for a moment. If you knew what results came from what investments, you know, we're all, I, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm happy to pay taxes. That's all real problem. I am. I mean, they make our society better. But to pay taxes for things that have no efficacy, no, they don't work is ridiculous. And if you think about it, 
There's a, there's a book. Um, it's a, I'm trying to remember the name of it. I can't offhand, but a guy um, from the Brookings Institute studied the basis from which uh, federal lawmakers made decisions. And of all the components of a decision, the facts about whether this idea would work or not uh, constituted 3% of the decision. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. Yeah. And so this is the world. And all, all I'm saying is this is a frame of reference that was never imagined mm. by our founding fathers. And uh, we have 50 states that are all designed to be experiments in democracy. <laughs> but the problem with that is we don't learn from each other. Wow. So, so here's the simple, I can tell you, and you know this, virtually every social problem we have has been solved by someone (laughs) there's a program it works it's demonstrably proven it has high return on investments you know and um um there's a program in um in oregon that's focused on kids and they identify kids in the first second grade and they assign a mentor through them to them through their Entire high school graduation. Wow. And, um, and this program, Friends of the Children, is now expanding nationally. It shows the return on investments, been studied by Harvard MBAs, you know, all that kind of stuff. It works. It's not cheap, but it's far cheaper than prison. Oh, wow. That's a. It, it's far cheaper than, um, you know, drug addiction and mental health issues and dependence upon society um but we don't we don't understand that we pay for in our governmental system we pay for what doesn't work wow our social system it's all in childhood you know it's all in you know youth where if we could help people and get them into the right programs we wouldn't have the highest incarceration rate in the world Mm -hmm. we wouldn't have all the opioid deaths, we wouldn't have, you know, all the mental health and suicide issues that we have today. Wow. And if we, if we look at that, though, we have to change where our budget dollars go. So that means changing budgets and allocations. Wouldn't that be the, the issue? Everybody's trying to fight for their own budgets. And so they're looking at it myopically. Is how much, I mean, so I'm, I'm just guessing, I'm pondering here, is this part of the issue or is it, or is it more than that? So uh, I'm going to give you um, uh, a three-phased way to think about the maturation of government and mm. the thinking okay. that goes on in it. Phase one is reaction-driven government, mm-hmm. which is the vast majority of what we have. Something right. happens, it's the classic, somebody gets hit, and so they put up streetlights. <laughs> uh, you know, it, yes. it, it's that reaction. And so... Much of government is not, watch the money being poured into the various social issues that are hot now. Watch it. You said it earlier, Craig. Um, now, here's the problem. And, and Jeff, you said write the check. Here's the problem. You, the, the second phase is results driven. So, maturation, uh, we start off reaction driven, results driven. When we change the mechanism and we say these dollars, will reduce energy consumption, will increase high school graduation rate, will you know, reduce suicide, whatever it is, and we drive programs that actually work and achieve those results, then a magic thing happens. We actually get better. <laughs> wow, wait, wait, we're learning from something? That's, that's we're, we're learning, and what's really cool is you have to go through this phase before you can get to the third phase, which I'll talk about in a second. So as we learn the disciplines of results, which have a lot of process thinking in them, uh, taking the waste out theory of constraints, teaching people how to do process improvement, teaching people how to define and design measures, 
Once we learn how to do that, we can go to phase three, reaction-driven, results-driven, social good-driven. So now that we understand how those mechanisms work, Mm -hmm. we're able to actually start to say, let's now take some of that money, let's move it upstream Mm -hmm. to where the issues are, Let's look at our policies and practices with regards to foster children, which we all know is an absolute disaster, multi-generational poverty, multi-generational incarceration, you know, all these issues that are all interconnected. And let's go back to the root cause of those and invest there in programs that are proven to work. Mm. And we, we transform society by doing that. That sounds so good. And it doesn't sound like it's, I mean, I would imagine it's a pretty big mindset shift to go from reaction to results. Because if you're in the reaction mode, it's always, okay, what, what is somebody going to think about this? You know, I'm, I, I see this issue come up and I need to respond to it. And it's like one of the first professional jobs I had when I was stepped in as uh, chief technology officer of a company. Uh, when I first came in, they had all sorts of technology issues. And in my first management meeting, I, I came up with a, a uh, fire extinguisher. I said, I'm not here to put out fires. I'm here to solve the problem so we don't have fires to begin with. And so it's a big shift in our thinking to get to that point. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you can guess it doesn't happen overnight. It's an increment. Right. It's kind of the classic. I don't know if you're, either of you are Joseph Campbell fans. Oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Joseph fan. It's a classic hero's journey. So, you know, the hero starts off uh, saying, well, how hard can this results-driven stuff be? I mean, this, <laughs> you know, this isn't that hard. But um, what I've done is I've learned how to take people through this journey. Mm, okay. And that's what I do and what I believe in. And so, um, yeah, it's not that hard, but it you don't, you won't make it through if you're having to figure every piece out yourself, because Mm -hmm. just like the issue with uh, friends of the children, these problems have been solved. So there are, there are ways of developing and deploying results driven approaches that work. They're proven to work. And, um, and that's what, what I help with because the, the hero's journey is basically hero starts off boldly. How hard can this be? then begins to do the work and discovers it is very difficult to do this and it's very complicated and there's so much to learn. Uh, and so um, how do I get down that path is, is without aborting, you know, without abandoning because it's too complicated. Wow. So John, I had a question about your example. What would you call it? Friends of the children? Yeah. So, and I love what you said, everything's been solved. <laughs> and I think that's true in a lot of places in our lives, in the world, in our businesses. So you've got this organization, they've got, they've got something that works. What are the key obstacles that keep that from becoming the solution across all different, you know, on more scale and in other areas? What keeps that from being the solution in a governmental system? Well, I, I think, uh, first of all, it's a not-for-profit, and so uh, it just needs money, right? If the program works, it needs money. But what we have to do, and this is where I think some of the challenges come, is that legislators in particular and, and administrators, th- this is my view. Jeff, I don't care what you think will solve that problem. If you can prove to me that your idea works, I'm all in. Hmm. But what we do is I have a theory and here's my theory, blah, 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 blah. And I think this will do it. And I've read an article and, you know, da, 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 da. (laughs) And we go set up a, you know, $25 million program uh, to run that. And oh, by the way, five years from now, we have no idea if it worked. And And nobody's looking to see if it worked. And nobody's looking because whoever wrote that law is now gone. Right. That money is still flowing, uh, you know, so, and people are obligated to spend it as constructed. Wow. Um, so there's strings everywhere. What, 
what happens when you start to say, uh, it's fascinating because I've, I've worked with um, numerous uh, governor's cabinets and they, they all come up with the same measures. <laughs> you know, don't tell anybody, but they do. They come up with the same measures. You know, it has to do with traffic fatalities. It has to do with high school graduation rates. It has to do with suicide. It has to do with opioid deaths. It has to do with, you know, getting people uh, jobs, you know, good paying jobs and, uh, you know, all the things associated with any society and environmental quality, all of those issues. What a governor does is a governor has to determine which of those levers are most important to them. Mm, yeah. And so if you come into the control room, you know, surrounded by all these monitors and you're the new governor, the problem is you, most of governors come into the control room and they go, the hell is this? Get rid of it, you know, and let's start over again. Oh no. And so if I'm real, I'm an advocate for, and I've been on this soapbox a bit lately is to have a common set of measures across all the States defined in the same way, ranked. And if you want to, if you're the new governor coming in to work on something and you're 49th out of 50 in the country in terms of performance, uh, you know, you might want to take a look at that. (laughs) But but if you're already fifth out of 50 in the nation in that area, go work on something else. Mm. You're doing really well. Um, so, you know, it's, it's kind of political grandstanding that is a bit of the nature of the beast, but that results, those scorecards are what we should be looking to our leaders to create and manage from. Well, it's interesting that you talk about the, the integration of, you know, having, having a, a common core and it sounds like there's also an opportunity for people to share their, their wins. Um, back in 2006, I was in Micronesia speaking at a Pacific Leadership Conference, and it's, it was essentially um, leaders from multiple island nations coming together. It's the first time they had done that. And one of the things that the not NGO that I was working with, they, they said, you know, essentially, we're trying to find out what are the issues that you're facing. And so here we were around the table, and somebody said, well, this is one of the issues I'm facing. And somebody else said, oh, we solved that a couple of years ago, and this is what we did, right? And so it's just a matter of being in a forum where you can actually share the information makes it amazingly simple to solve some of the problems because, like you said, all the problems have been solved. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if, you, if you're um, uh, running an agency in a state that has a particular problem and you can see who solved that problem, you take your team, get on an airplane, go out and spend a – few days with them and you know you can go back and do that it's not that hard but what what we have a couple of dynamics that don't work really well one is that the leader changes every eight years and there's no you know and and often more often than that yeah and uh and that they come into the system and they rebirth it you know they they start over again instead of that's why if we had some sort of scoreboard that was national that everybody knew of and we paid attention to it and all the legislators and the governors and at the National Governor Association, which I've had the good fortune to speak at, you know, if those things all held a little bit of glue together, we could actually learn from each other and advance yeah. us. Well, how much, of, John, is there an obstacle, and it seems so simple, what obstacles have you seen to learning from each other? You know, I, yeah, I think exactly. of uh, a good friend of mine started some charter schools in the Cleveland, Ohio area, probably 10 or 12 years ago. And the first thing he did is he went around the country and he talked to the leaders from the organizations that had high performing charter schools and brought back all the best practices. But I've seen a lot of people that don't do that. They say, I've got an idea. So how much of this is about arrogance, frankly, arrogance and ego, and it's about my idea, and I, I've got a better idea, and I don't even need to learn from anybody. Mm. Yeah, so, you know, my, part of my reaction to what you said, Jeff, is appreciate your good idea, but what facts are you working with? 
you know, because I'm not willing to invest millions of dollars in your idea unless you can convince me and have some, particularly if I have a choice, right? You know, if there's five solutions to this and your solution sounds really innovative, but there's no, there's no facts behind it, then go do it on a, as a pilot. Mm. You know, go get it started somewhere and see if you can prove it. And if you do, it's like Friends of the Children. It's expanding nationally. It was started by a wealthy, successful businessman who was a foster child. Mm. You know, and so that those innovations are where society gets transformed. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartavera. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartavera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartavera.com. Welcome back. Well, it seems like, you know, if we take a, a book, a page out of the investor's book, right? If you're an investor, where do you want to put your money? You want to put your money where you're going to get the best return. And in the same way, if we have programs that are delivering the results, like you're talking about, sounds like it's, it's obvious that that's where the money should go rather than, like you said, 25 million on this theory. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a way, is there a way to kind of manage that? And is that, is that an executive level thing or is it division? You know, what, how does that come out? Well, interestingly, it could, it can be done at any level. Mm -hmm. It's just uh, the leverage of the level, right? So if if you're the governor, um, you know, you have one, one level of leverage. If you're a department manager, you have another. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually created an online um, masterclass called the Results Driven Manager that you're aware of, Craig. Mm-hmm. And uh, it actually, you can start anywhere because in that class, I teach you how to connect to the governor and how to connect to your agency. Mm-hmm. So if they're not doing this, you can still align. Uh, but I've, uh, over the years, I've, um, see if I can do this from memory. There's three kinds of governors. See if I get, see if I got this right. They're the, there's the pure reaction driven governor, the governor who comes in and it's like, you know, okay, baby, let's see what we can do. What's happening here. There's the governor who comes in with two or three policy issues that they really give a rip about. Governor Jerry Brown was very well known to say to people, right now I'm working on these two things. Mm. So I'm not interested because he was focused. He's laser focused. And then there's the transformational governor, the governor that says, we're going to fix the system. You know, we're going to, Martin O'Malley in Maryland was was (laughs) extremely good at this. And, you know, Doug Ducey in Arizona has done tons of work and, and um, Jay Inslee in the state of Washington and a bunch of others come in and say, we're going to fix the system. We're going to get results oriented. So, um, so it, it really is a leader who decides that that result mechanism is going to be one they focus on. Hmm. So John, I'm really curious how much, if someone's going to be a transformational governor and focus on fixing the system, how much of that involves them reframing how they see a return because you made a great point earlier that so many times they see look at the result but they'll say friends of the children is expensive well that's that word makes no sense if you look at the savings that 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 savings what you're saving in these other areas has to be part of that calculation but it often isn't so i'm curious how much of you've talked a lot about mindset shifts how, much, how important is for the mindset to look at the overall return on your result? <clears throat> uh, great question. The uh, challenge there often um, is that the legislature significantly controls budget. And so that's where uh, I was asked to uh, present to the Joint Ways and Means 
committees uh, for the state of Washington. And in that, I said to them, they were doing a bunch of lean stuff. And so taking a lot of waste out, saving a lot of money. And I said to them, um, I know what you're going to do. And that's as soon as you hear they've saved the money, you're going to take it away from them. <laughs> and uh, so you're going to, and they all burst, burst out laughing. Um, you know, the true sign of truth, right? <laughs> the, the one true indicator of truth. And so um, that, that therein lies the problem is, you know, if people save money, and I'm, I'm going to throw a number at you that will probably blow you away a little bit. But in classic process waste, you know, a manufacturing company might have 25% and of, its, of its resources are really inefficiently deployed. In a service organization, it's probably 40. Uh, you know, unless they, in, in either case, unless they've done a lot of work uh, to clean up the processes. And in government, uh, and I, um, this estimate is not pulled out of the air. It's from a lot of dialogue and some research. It's closer to 60%. Mm-hmm. So uh, that 60% is the capacity that you need to do whatever you want, if you think about it. Now, you'll never get, you'll never get it all, but if you could get half of that capacity, you're, you have 30% more room to go after things that today you can't touch. Wow. Um, and so, and I'm talking process waste. So these are gross inefficiencies that occur in processes with steps that add no value. Uh, you know, everything from, um, you know, uh, environmental permit that requires information that has long ago been discarded as being useful or that isn't even used, uh, but it requires it. And, uh, you know, all the steps that we go through, um, you know, in our interactions with government. Hmm. So how much of that waste is caused by the laws that are put out there? And is there any way to redact laws so that, you know, basically have somebody come in and just clean things up, so to speak, so we get rid of things that just don't make any sense anymore in this current environment? Well, a lot of governors have done, done that, uh, taken stripping away regulation. I think Governor Ducey, last I looked, they were close to 3,000 rules and regs that have been wow. cut. Um, so they actually go back and do that, and it does help. But, mm-hmm. but here's the way I look at it. If you're in the executive branch running state government, um, you have way more control over these things because you actually write the rules and the regulations. So you don't have to go back to the legislatures, legislators and change the law. Most cases, most of the times you can just rewrite the rules and regulations. That's not necessarily easy, but it also is in the way a lot less than you think. Because here is the bottom line. If you're in the executive branch and you're, you're achieving results and you've taken control rather than being controlled by, mm. you're always going to be better off. Yeah. Uh, because w- when you demonstrate results, you do get room to work. Mm. Okay. You know, John, I, I would love your reaction to a statement that was made to me recently. Uh, and I'll, I'm going to choose not to go into the details of it. But we were talking about an election topic. We were talking about candidates. And my comment to this person was, I said, well, I'm really looking at this from a lens of leadership, Mm. not policies, not positions, but leadership, leadership traits. And this person looked me dead in the eye and said, quote, what's that got to do with an election? (laughs) Close quote. And and they were genuine about that. That was not a snarky comment. Wow. And I said to them, (laughs) I said, well, for me right now, it feels like everything. And I'm curious, because you've worked in these governmental entities, in these organizations, does leadership matter? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm well, sure. It seems like an obvious question, but I think there's, I mean, I don't think that's the only person who sees it that way. Yeah, it does. So um, it does matter. 
And now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to segue it, but I'll come back. Management matters too. And, and we often don't understand the difference between mm-hmm. the two. You know, leadership is about vision, direction, inspiration, strategy, but management is about who's going to do what when. You know, and we have to manage both of those. Um, and what is surprising to me when you talk about leadership matters, to a large degree, it depends what level we're talking about. If you're running a city, you know, or you're running a state or you're running the federal government, damn, you better have some grasp of management because they are massive management jobs. And few um, true political people grow up in a world where they understand management. Rarely do they. Uh, Martin O'Malley was uh, one such governor who figured out that it actually was about management. that even if he had a beautiful vision of what he wanted to accomplish, if you couldn't get it mm-hmm. to be achieved, it was worthless. And so he was brilliant at no governor in, that I've seen uh, delivered more demonstrable results than he did, mm-hmm. where you can actually look at the, the measures that he put in place and see the improvements. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that leadership or is that management or is it really a bit of both? Yeah, I think. Well, I think, well, for me, my quick answer is both are the leadership and management are different. And the key is they're more about how things, the ways things are getting achieved, not just if they're getting achieved, because there are people who get things achieved in a way that doesn't really serve the group that they, they don't work together well, but they, you know, they cram things through. So there's a way, and I guess what I'm looking at is separating it from policies themselves because so many people i think look in the election their thought is what's their policy which is important but don't look at their leadership so they've got good policies but what if they never get anything done well but they got a good policy yeah and that's where that's where see i think policy is about leadership execution is about management right (laughs) So you can have the best policy in the world, but you can come up with something that cannot be executed. And so in the design of the policy, you have to have in mind the execution. Mm. And one of the things I've been a big advocate of and have helped popularize is the concept that a governor needs a chief operating officer, not just a chief of staff. Mm. The chief of staff is largely political. And you need someone there who's cranking the ship, you know, every day driving improvements, results is accountable for that aspect, while the chief of staff is really accountable for policy and politics. Uh, And um, I've seen that done extremely well. Um, uh, Kirk Adams was the uh, chief of staff to Governor Ducey in Arizona. He got both. He got both, and he understood he needed a COO, and he knew how to work with a COO because talk is cheap, execution is, is not. Wow. Hey, John, I'm really curious. You mentioned earlier I really liked it, the idea, idea of the dashboard mm-hmm. across states, and, and I've seen in some cases the power of that. One example came to mind is last year I did a, a business visit with a chamber to Charlotte, North Carolina. And one of the speakers was sharing that there had been a national study. Now this was cities, not necessarily states. And it was, a, it was ranking the top largest cities in terms of how they were doing in economic mobility, which is how are people bettering themselves in their city? And Charlotte was ranked 50th out of 50. And, and the person speaking said, the good news about that is he says, probably the best thing that could have happened to Charlotte because that outcome motivated us. Hmm. You know, that, that without seeing that and that comparison, that's what really got us going. And they shared some things that I felt like were really made sense and they were results driven. So is, is there a, 
is there resistance to that kind of dashboard? And is it about as lack of accountability? Someone doesn't want to be accountable. <laughs> Do they just don't believe it's really testable? What, what's the resistance to those kind of dashboards? Well, you know, generally speaking, once people get past, uh, and this is not insignificant, once people get past the fact that uh, um, you, you cannot use measures and scoreboards to punish people, mm. and you cannot use them to find the guilty, um, what they have to be used for is to incite exploration, uh, to inspire understanding, to, you know, dig into the truth and find out what's going on. And, you know, Deming taught this, and uh, I fervently believe it, 98% of problems have to do with the under, underlying processes, mm. not the people in those processes. Um, and uh, we tend to migrate toward people. Well, so, I think, I'm sorry. No, go, go ahead. I was going to say, it sounds like you're, you're touching on one of the key themes that we've seen in this podcast, which is trust. And in an organization, when you have that trust of, you know, somebody's not going to slam me if, if, this, if I go awry a little bit, you know, we, we have a trusted environment where I know that somebody else has my back rather than it's just a purely political system where you always have to cover your butt, you always have to look out for yourself rather than get the work done. And so what, what is required to, to get to that kind of environment? Do you see examples of that kind of environment? Yeah, so I, when I hear words like trust, and, um, and I, I'm sure that you'll, uh, you'll expand and enlighten me, um, they're shallow. Uh, they're shallow in the sense that you don't build trust by talking about it. Mm, absolutely. You know, you don't, um, trust is not, I, I remember years ago I had a, a relatively small company and I had the CEO come to me and say, will you come and do teamwork with me for my leadership team? And I said, no, I, I don't do that kind of work. And he said, well, all this stuff you're talking about, you know, um, makes sense. What is it you do? Well, we work on solving the business problems that you have. And in the process, we build trust, hmm. you know, and it's just like you build the scorecards and you have business reviews and in the process, people get comfortable, right? Yeah. You know, and trust is built. It's not uh, granted. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and the way that works is, is um, literally when people get up and the numbers aren't right. Mar Martin O'Malley, Governor O'Malley, in my podcast, he, I did a couple of interviews with him, and he talks about, um, uh, he tells a story of the wetlands in Chesapeake Bay. Mm. Sorry, not just the, there's a process in, in, in the environmental business called cover crop. So that's where you have, uh, open areas that are not planted that if they were planted would help filter uh, the drainage into uh, Chesapeake Bay, mm -hmm. largest inland body of water in the U.S. And uh, so they had a meeting. He's with the department, uh, the head of agriculture. How are we doing in cover crop? Classic. We're doing great. You know, this is this year. You're class. We've worked this really hard, and uh, well, what, what, uh, how, how saturated do you think you are in terms of where we're maxed? I mean, we we couldn't get any more. So the governor said, "Well, let's get some maps to see where all the land is that is um, uh, is plantable with cover crop, and let's see where we've actually uh, planted." Uh, so they worked with a company called Esri, and Esri's the guys that do yeah. the maps. GIS. GIS, yeah, and they're brilliant. And uh, so they uh, come back with the maps, and well, lo and behold. So over the next two or three what was it 30%? Over the, yeah, over the next two or three years, they increased the cover crop uh, saturation by 400%. Wow. 
but this is how he operated. And it's like, you know, Craig, I, you're really smart. And I believe you're doing a good job, but could you show me your data? <laughs> wait, wait, accountable? No, I don't want to be accountable. So, wow. So, and, and that's, as he, as he says, and this is what I, he, he was the, probably the toughest governor in many ways that I've run across. Tough in the sense that he said, you know, boys and girls, there's kids out there and um, in, in our society who are dying mm -hmm. because we're not doing things that we should be doing. That's said, if, if you're looking for uh, low pressure work, go somewhere else. <laughs> Good for him. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, this has been fascinating, John. Uh, one of the things that we do kind of in the wrap up is just kind of talk about any, any other pieces that you may want to bring out that, that maybe you haven't been able to say, uh, is there anything that is kind of like top of mind for you that you'd like to get out about, you know, the way that you look at government? Well, I wish that we could get a greater understanding uh, across the broad spectrum of government about the value of results. Hmm. Uh, it is an, it is more, it's an organizing mechanism that actually has a strange impact in terms of how broadly it shapes the behavior and how broadly it influences thinking. And, uh, you know, in this great society we have today, we seem to uh, be accelerating down the path of not believing in facts. Mm. And uh, boy, that seems like a bad path to go down. So my, my one, one thing that I think matters the most is we need to get, get our act together and figure out how to measure what we're doing, make sure it's effective and, and live in the world of truth, live in the world of what actually does work, not what we think works. Hmm. It's interesting because in a lot of businesses, you would think that, you know, we're, we're focused on what are the, what are the results? You know, we're looking at our bottom line, you have the quarterly calls, all that kind of thing. And is there something similar in the government? Well, uh, only if you put it there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So me as a, you know, as we are citizens, where would we go to find out how the government is operating? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the classic uh, check on government is an election, which is really a rather, <laughs> a rather minimal uh, check. Most uh, increasingly, you'll see that states have scorecards. Okay. Uh, and nobody looks at them, but they're really, really valuable. Um, Results Washington is a program that I was involved in setting up. You can go look up uh, Governor Ducey in Arizona's dashboard. Most are measuring. The real test is, are they managing with them? And here's the way you can tell. They're getting better. <laughs> wow. Amazing. And so uh, the, I won't name a name, but there's one particular example where uh, that governor bragged on and on about the great work they're doing. But if you go look at the measures, they're not improving. Wow. And so there's two things you need to do. <laughs> you need to measure and then you need to manage the work in a way that actually improves those measures. And one approach that's being done is goal councils where that I've helped uh, in, uh, impact in a few states where the agency leadership actually where leaders across agencies work together on a goal and a measure. And they collaborate their efforts to be able to move the dial. Okay. Well, I think something needs to be pointed out here, Craig, because you, you, it's interesting. You were saying, why aren't the governments doing what the companies are doing? See, I don't think the companies are doing that much better. They have, they have quarterly meetings, but they have the same conversation. Hey, how yeah. are you doing in that group? We're killing it. <laughs> well, sure. How's your yeah. sales team doing? We are killing it. Well, I was thinking about efficiency? that as I said. <laughs> We're killing it. But there's a difference between having conversations and what I'm hearing John say is about measurement with a focus on tangible results. Yeah. And, and you're making decisions and you're making decisions based upon those results. Yeah. You get an A, Jeff. Hey. <laughs> that's what I was going for. Yeah, that's right. Well, and you know, it, it's true. We do the same thing in business and most people in government think business is much better. Classic story. Um, 
Um, uh, oh, I'm going to skip on his name. Uh, Malali, uh, Alan Malali goes into Ford Motor Company. First meeting, they're there looking at all the dashboards. Everything's in green. And he says, how is it everything is in green when we just reported a $5 billion loss? <laughs> Something's wrong with our measures. <laughs> yeah. And you, you know what was wrong? It was, they, it was perceived by them it was not okay to be in red. Mm. And so you, you, you make it work in whatever way you can to be in green. Wow. That's not what the game is about. And that's where we have ethical issues. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's more than uh, ethical issues because they can rationalize. It's really about tone, you know, about try, maybe it goes back to trust and purpose. Yeah. Um, because if we understand the purpose is to get better, to identify our problems and get better, then it's okay to have a measure in red. In fact, it's good to have a measure in red or a measure in yellow. Uh, because now we know what to go work on. Yeah. Well, I think that really highlights, it's a really good insight for me, John, the difference between measures and results. Mm. Because they are different. Mm. There are results in the measurements, but to that point, the dashboard, the measures were all positive, mm. but they weren't getting the results they wanted. And that tells me either the measures don't align with the results, which is a good chance for that. So they've gotten disconnected because now, we're measuring for the sake of measuring. So yeah. I, I, well, my big takeaway is what does it look like to really focus on results and understand those results and what does it take to achieve those results? And we're going to do dashboards, but they're really focused on things that we know are connected to the result, the outcomes we want versus just the numbers we want. Yeah. And they're related, but they still are different. That, that's my big takeaway. Results-driven management. Yeah, right on. So, John, you, you referenced your book, but I don't think you mentioned the title. What's the title of your book? Um, I, I've written two books. Uh, my book that's about government is Government That Works, okay. um, The Results Revolution in the States. And it's endorsed by four governors, and I have four words by uh, a Republican and a Democratic governor. And uh, my first book was uh, published by Wiley Business at the Speed of Now. The speed of now. I love it. Well, we'll make sure those are included in the show notes. So, John, uh, also, is there anything in particular that you want to promote for our listeners? Well, it, this is particularly focused at government, but I have just launched a new uh, masterclass called the Results Driven Manager for State Government. So it's an online um, seven-module, 26-session masterclass where state managers actually go implement the very things we've been talking about. Hmm. Cool. And where can people find that? And, and also how can people get in contact with you, John? Just uh, best way is to come to my website, which is John M Bernard.com. J O H N M Bernard uh, all run together. No punctuation. Awesome. Well, we will make sure we share that as well, John. Uh, so as I said, the question, we always wrap up with a question, and I feel like you've answered a number of them already. So the question I want to ask you about is my favorite. <laughs> I'm really curious about this. Movies, movies, television, I love them, and I think there's so many lessons in them, but what's a movie or television, the, the show, uh, a scene, maybe even just a line that speaks to you around leadership? And results. Oh, I love. Um, I, I've got to remember the movie Curly. In uh, do you remember Curly in um, City Slickers? City Slickers in yes. City Slickers, where he says the, you know, it's the one he's got a cigarette hanging out of his mouth, and you got to remember it's the one thing. It's the one thing, and he said, "What's the what? What, what is the one thing? You'll know it when you figure it out." <laughs> so, I just love that. I actually cite it in uh, some stuff that I use. So, that's yeah. great, John. Thank you, and thanks for sharing. And thank you for enlightening me. I know as well as our listeners on yeah. a different way to look at what government is or isn't, and what it would take to make it work. They think so many people, including me, 
want to see government work. I think I think we have a clear action item. Let's let's say thank you to a state government employee. Good idea. We appreciate you being here. You bet. If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartavera Tribe. The Cartavera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartavera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because... The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.